Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. Tonight we will be talking, well, I guess it's day, it feels like night to me. Um, we will be talking about the second part of the Stark Faction for the 2021 uh, update. We did already talk about the units and their attachments in the last episode, so definitely go check that one out. Um, I would say that you don't necessarily need to listen to that one first. Uh, the only thing in this one that you'll kind of hear that will sort of cover that one is we're going to attempt to, uh, at the end of this episode, kind of give our overall thoughts of the entire faction. So I would say uh, if it's not too much hassle, maybe go listen to that one first, but it's definitely not uh, required. Uh, tonight I have with me Spencer and Cyrus Moore. Thank you guys for coming on again. Uh, it'll be nice to have the same uh, same uh, people talking about uh, both parts. Oh, absolutely. Happy to be here. Yep. Thanks for having us. And just let me uh, find my screenshots so I can uh, look at all the stuff we're going to be talking about, which will be the NCUs and the commanders and their tactics cards, as well as, I guess I did forget to screenshot one thing, which is the main tactics deck, but I don't believe anything changed for that compared to, because I know for some factions they changed a little. So, um, let's see here. Uh, so first we're going to start off with the NCUs, because that's something we wanted to talk about in the first part, but just there's so much content that we ran out of time. Uh, there's technically six Stark NCUs, but there's only three of them that uh, are completely new to us. Uh, the other three either didn't change or had already been revealed. Uh, so let's see. We'll start off with... Uh, Catelyn, who didn't change at all, which I'm completely fine with. I know a lot of stuff got buffs and changes, and, you know, she's still four points, and I think she's amazing. Uh, I find myself still taking her a lot, especially now. Uh, I took her a lot before because of her ability to take away a condition token, because there was lots of uh, armies that... Uh, revolved around placing conditions out and the ability to throw her on the wealth to heal two tokens right away is just incredibly strong and especially now in 2021 update uh, you see a lot more tokens than you did before a lot more abilities effects uh, you know throw out tokens so she's still just as uh, priceless as she was before um, and then the other two that were already revealed to us was Sansa and Holland Reed. Holland Reed's the influence where influencing enemy will do minus one to hit and altering having the hindering and rough keywords. Uh, five points if I didn't mention. And then Sansa went up to four points. She has uh, beginning the game with two orders. Each time Sansa claims a zone, you may remove one order token from her. If you do, you replace that zone's effect with return one tactics card from your discard pile to your hand. Um, overall, uh, Sansa, still good. I think she will find an awesome home in three NCU lists. Just that replaceability is 
because it's not immediate in the sense that uh, you usually can't use the tactics card that you put to your hand immediately, uh, especially if you're looking to get like assault orders. You're looking to take that spot, replace it, get assault orders, and then have to use your second NCU if you're only running two to replace the next spot to get the free attack, which seems like a big uh, investment. You know, you're spending an entire rounds of NCUs to get one free attack. So I would say she's going to be, find a perfect home in two or uh, three NCU lists. Uh, but before we talk about the new NCUs, uh, Cyrus, what do you think of uh, those three in particular? Uh, starting with Catlin, I love Catlin. A lot of players brought her mostly for attaching them to Berserkers to give them their uh, maximum attack die value, and they would often, a lot of players did, in fact, overlook the condition token, uh, but that is that is huge. If, you ha if you're facing down a Vargo Hote, and he's got your unit weakened, and he's going to uh, assassinate your Rob Commander, or your uh, uh, Rickon, remove the weakened token, and now the, the Vargo Hote's no longer effective, so yeah, Catelyn Star's still great, uh, Sansa uh, is a little – she's not as good as she used to be. She used to be an auto-include, mostly because she was three points, but now with her being four points, and the way that her, her is now is a uh, replace effect, uh, it's not necessarily an auto-include in every list. She will have some uses. There, there's not a whole lot of cards that she just has to go into the deck and, and, and pull back out anymore, or not into the deck, but your discard pile. There's a few, and there's a lot of commander cards that she's going to want to go get. So uh, that's great. And then Helen Reed, he's excellent. Just just the minus one to hit that can also stack with if you're running uh, disrupt or agile, and slowing down your your enemy tree. That weirwood tree in the middle of the field is having hindering or rough, and just wrecking your opponent's plans. Just excellent. Yeah, and uh, I think I talked about it a little bit in the Free Folk uh, episodes, but um, I think they, I don't know if they, it was me, uh, I want to say it was probably me, uh, just because I didn't really hear a lot of other people like um, gunning for, or I don't know if gunning is the right word, but, you know, trying to get the change of Jack and Hagar to be five points because of the combo with Holland. And as we see now with his uh, point cost out, he's uh, five points. And that's because Holland is just so strong. Um, you know, hindering and rough is going to be amazing. And if you could do it twice, um, if you can do it twice, then you're going to be able to really hinder your opponent, you know, no pun intended. I know that's one of the keywords, but you're really going to be able to kind of muck things up between two units out of, in a lot of cases, five, you know, so nearly half their army. And in most cases, only four of them are ever, like, in the mix. And, you know, you're going to be able to apply those effects to half of their army in in that scenario. Um, so. Five points, kind of a hefty price tag, something that I think a lot of us are going to have to just get used to, knowing that uh, five is like the new average, 
because uh, we're looking at a scale of four, five, six. I know because of the quantity of fours to fives to sixes that you're still going to mostly see a bunch of fours and then occasionally a five. And rarely, I think, will you see the sixes. Not that the sixes are bad. It's just it's a hefty price tag. And at six points, you know, especially if you take like a five-pointer and a six-pointer, that's 11 points. For one more point, you could have an extra activation by running three four-pointers, especially because we've already seen that a lot of the four-pointers are well worth their investment uh, with a lot of things getting boosts and just redone in such a way that makes them super strong. Uh, Spencer, what do you think about these three? So, Catelyn, she's exactly the same. Perfect. Exactly what you want out of her. She's a, one of the very few that didn't change at all. So, good. Mainstay got her right. <laughs> um, Sansa, in our playtesting, she's rarely been used. Just, I mean, even when we take her, we don't seem to do the replace effect. It's the tactics decks just, it doesn't have that card like Swift Advance where you're like, I need that card and I need to get it right now. Um, you, you, it doesn't have that anymore. Uh, so she's she's an odd one. I think some of the commander cards might be good enough to, to take her, but otherwise just okay. Holland, even though he's five points, I think he will become a staple in pretty much every start list. <laughs> Uh, minus one to hit is incredibly powerful, and it can stack right now with the disrupts and the agiles. And making hindering and rough isn't something that's, you know, sneeze at either. Suddenly turning a weirwood tree into hindering and rough to charge me could cause some problems. Well, especially now that, uh, you know, hindering, though... Uh, you can still get into combat, uh, you know, fairly reliably, you know, with only with rough only being minus one, but, uh, you know, there, no longer do you have to worry about ones and twos and all that stuff. You just, you know, you can charge right over it and uh, you just lose your rerolls, which is super powerful, but, um, you know, being able to make sure that your opponent's not getting rerolls is going to be big, especially if you can combine it with a bunch of uh, weakened tokens. Uh, not that Starks have a lot of access to that, but, uh, you know, definitely can uh, find ways to make sure to get, you know, some extras out there, even if maybe it's running like Bloody Mummers uh, mixed in your list, which would go with the theme, uh, which is funny, you know, because and the Mummers were always back and forth between Starks and Lannisters in the book. Uh, and it's just funny how I feel like the Mummers just slightly uh, are better in Starks than they are in Lannisters, and then the Boltons are slightly, or I don't even say slightly, I would say they're easily better in Lannisters than they are uh, Starks. But it's just nice that those two neutral units just seem to have a home in that make the most sense. Not that they're not amazing in other factions, but uh, maybe something, you know, some combos there with uh, Holland and Mummers would be would be nice. Um, moving on to the newer uh, NCUs, let's start with Roderick. 
Roderick is uh, four points. Each time Roderick claims the swords, target one enemy combat unit, they become vulnerable. And Roderick begins the game with two order tokens on him. At the start of any turn, you may remove one order token from Roderick. If you do, remove one order token from one friendly unit. That order may be used again this round. So, Roderick, uh, I want to love his ability because in some rare, rare situations, you can turn this ability into something amazing, but it's because of that like rarity, I just, it's hard for me to want to take him at only two order tokens. I would much much rather see the combo potential go down and give him like another token. Uh, Have him have three tokens. That way you can do simple stuff like be able to use a Sworn Sword Captain or Stark Fury multiple times around. But when you have combo potential, like adding him in with Bastard's Girls and being able to do their, uh, I forget the new name, but their Sikkim order to uh, shoot and charge, something like that, you know, can make them easily worth his points. But I don't want to always have to feel like I need to run the Bastard's Girls to really capitalize on his uh, ability. Um, and there's a couple other instances like uh, Great John with his. Uh, I forget the name of the ability, where before they die, they would come back. Uh, You'd be able to make sure that if anyone tried to double attack the unit, you could uh, put the order token back on so that they could live uh, for another round. Um, So there's some very outlier scenarios that makes him uh, awesome. But the fact that he has to take the combat zone to make someone vulnerable was another reason why I didn't run them that often uh, in 1.6. I didn't want to have to only rely on one zone. Uh, It would maybe be nice if they could almost even keep him the way he is and add another zone, Um, let's say like uh, the maneuver zone, to throw out a weakened token. If Roger claims the maneuver, target one enemy and they become weakened. Uh, To give some flexibility... It's kind of like how uh, uh, Shira has, uh, you know, a lot more flexibility now than she did before. But, uh, I don't know, something like that maybe. Because I would love to run Roderick in just some basic lists, but, you know, with only two order tokens and a situational uh, spot I have to claim, uh, especially such a uh, popular spot, arguably the most popular spot, I'd say in most games, it's like the very first action that's taken 90% of the time. Uh, So, I don't know. I want to love Roderick, but I'm kind of indifferent about him. Uh, Cyrus, what do you think about uh, Roderick here? Uh, I like Roderick myself. Uh, Being able to throw that vulnerable token out, if you are the first player and you are claiming the swords, just having that vulnerable token with your pretty wide offense in your list uh, you're going to do some damage so it it is an option it's not going to be an option for very long depending on the game state so you have to jump on it quickly and there's an opportunity cost to that if you have another NCU that needs to be out on the board to get you another effect you're having to use Roderick first if you really want that vulnerable token so it is situational the uh, 
two order tokens, I think is definitely fair for him, especially at four points uh, later on when we talk about other NCUs at four points, their effect is worse than what he's offering here with the two order tokens for four points. I, I think it's good. And orders are generally pretty powerful effects and that's why they're limited to once per round and being able to get it back can, like you said, be really swingy, but you have to be able to set it up right. Otherwise you're not going to be able to use his ability. So uh, back to what I was talking about with Sansa, how they're trying to avoid having things so powerful that their auto includes. We talked about uh, Howland Reed being really powerful, but he has five points, so you might not be able to put him in every list. Roderick Cassell, he's good, not great, fair at four points. Yeah, I... I definitely think he's worth four points. He's just, I don't know, for me, per, like a personal preference, I think he's just, he's barely there. He's hes just enough that I might run him once in a blue moon. But uh, I guess personally, I would just rather see him kind of be a, a bit more tempting. Uh, Spencer, what do you think about him? Uh, so I'd say I'm in the same boat as you. Um, I don't like his low flexibility for the token generating. Uh, I do wish, yes, uh, the maneuver do something. I, I don't care, panicked, vulnerable, heal one, you know, what, whatever. Um, but the big thing about him is the order tokens. And unfortunately, Starks don't really have great orders when you look at them. Uh, like David said, the Sworn Sword Captain, uh, you could do the uh, Bastard Girl combo. That's going to be around for a while. <laughs> um, that's about it. I mean, Great John, uh, they don't have access to these, you know, set for charge or something like that, where you're like, okay, I'm going to get charged again uh, type of stuff. Uh yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I want to run him as well. He, he seems really interesting and fun. He just doesn't have good targets for his main ability. Um, maybe if Hidden Traps were to get changed to 1 plus 1 for every rank, maybe then you could see it a little more. I I, I don't know, though. He seems okay for a 4-point NCU, and I guess we'll see if time goes on. I mean, I definitely could see some lists built. You'd almost have to build around him, uh, whether it be because you threw some Bastard Scrolls in there. Or even, I mean, I suppose if you run some uh, She-Bears, being able to use their order, like let's say three times in a single round and all three go off, you know, throwing out six tokens, four of them being the result of Roderick, that could be pretty awesome. Uh, especially if you take the swords, make someone vulnerable. So then in one single round, you made, you know, you threw out seven tokens. That could be kind of cool. Uh, but then I guess, you know, unless you claim the swords with him, the rest of the game, you're just kind of, you know, a blank NCU. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I guess I will have to kind of, as I mentioned before with some of the other stuff, uh, I'll just have to force myself, I guess, to, for lack of better words, uh, force him into my list to really give him a fair shake uh, and try, to, you know, some 
combos out with them that aren't super obvious like the Bastard Scrolls one. Uh, next up, we have Eddard Stark. I, okay, he is five points. He begins the game with four order tokens on him. Each time a friendly unit is performing a panic test, after rolling dice, you may remove one order token from Eddard. If you do, that unit may re-roll any dice for this test. Each time a friendly unit passes a panic test, you may re remove one order token from Eddard. If you do, that unit restores two wounds, plus one wound for each of its destroyed ranks. Uh, personally, I love Eddard. I, to run him in, I would say most of my lists, definitely not uh, most, by most I mean like, I don't know, every six out of ten lists, let's put it that way. Like more than half the time, if Eddard is not my commander, I try to fit him in there just because of how good he is. I think he's completely uh, fairly priced at five points. I think he's actually a strong five-point uh, NCU. I would almost even argue if you have the points, instead of running uh, Edder, or sorry, uh, Howland and Jacken for a double Howland, I'd much rather run Eddard and Howland to then unlock uh, Serio at two points to give a minus a second minus that way. Granted, again, you would have to have the extra two points for Serio, but you're not just gaining at that point. You're not just gaining a minus. He does have the precision as well. So, uh, you know, because that's important to note is that Serio uh, is unlocked by Arya or Eddard, and it does not. Uh, stipulate which Eddard. So you can run your commander Eddard to unlock him or Eddard uh, the NCU. Um, so I absolutely love him. He Four tokens, if you do it, uh, if every time you use the order token it's for healing and every time you're at last rank, you can heal up to 16 wounds. So um, definitely a strong five-point uh, NCU. Uh, Spencer, we'll go to you first for this one. Uh, what do you think of Eddard? I think he's, uh, as you were saying, he's fantastic. I have several lists of him and Holland together, even though that's 10 points. It's just so good, and he brings something Starks are lacking, which is the healing. Um, and even the panic help is something when you go, well, there's some crazy panic shenanigans that are going on in the game. You know, him being able to go, okay, I rolled one six, re-roll the other die and try and make this crazy panic. Um he brings a lot that you actually kind of need as the Starks. So, yeah, definitely worth his five points. Definitely would take him in several lists and have him in several lists. Um, yeah. Uh, Cyrus, I don't know what that, uh, that noise was, but there's something uh, big. Um but before I go to you, Cyrus, the, I wanted to mention about Eddard that, you know, Starks, from my experience, seem to have a lot less healing than they did before because I had mentioned it before that some of my builds had uh, arguably as much healing as, uh, um, like, some of the Jon Snow lists. Uh, the Jon Snow lists could usually get their healing much easier, 
but as far as the just the raw number of the potential of healing, uh, Starks, uh, some of the builds had almost just as much, which seems because you would you never would Starks that way, but just between their cards, certain commanders, and certain NCUs, you could definitely get get them to be almost just as healy, uh, and so that kind of played in my play style where I'd run, you know, a bunch of berserkers for the super offense with their high morale combined with all this healing and then some defensive traits through blackfish. And, uh, you know, now you have the super offensive force that has defense in other, other, uh, outlets other than the actual, uh, defensive save. Uh, you don't see nearly as much healing anymore. So, Eddard at five points is going to be your saving grace for a lot of Stark lists. Um, You're going to find, you know, healing four wounds when you're at last rank is going to be amazing to help keep you alive, especially if, uh, let's say, they they brought you down to four wounds. I mean, you're still at last rank, so you're still going to heal four from Eddard if you pass that morale. All the more reason why having you know, Berserkers is going to be that much more important if you're going to be running Eddard Stark because, in my opinion, uh, the you know, being able to roll the morale portion is amazing, but uh, if I can go a whole game without ever having to use an order on that part and just make sure it's for healing, I, I mean, I would do that every time. I try to, unless I know it's going to be like a super bad morale and I'm confident that the reroll is going to let me pass, uh, I try to never use this order token on the, the panic test portion. Uh, so, yeah, going over to you, Cyrus, what, do you, what are your thoughts on Eddard here? Yeah, I think you got it exactly right. He is the source of, of some of the very few healing that you're going to be able to get in the Starks, which is great. Uh, he's going to save your bacon on some of the self-damaging that you're doing from the tactics cards and abilities. He'll be able to save you a sworn sword or two. Uh, but he does have a little bit of anti-synergy uh, because a lot of units are at their most powerful on their last rank. And if you've been attacked and you're on your last rank and you pass your panic test and you use the max heal, yeah, it's great. Your unit's still going to be alive, but now they're no longer on, la- on last rank because you're healing four and you're, you don't have access to the peak abilities of those units. So I'm not saying healing is bad. It's just the, the, the significant reliance of the Starks on so many units and so many abilities requiring you to be on your last rank to have their full effectiveness. You're not going to want to stay there. And if you're in a position where you don't want to stay there, then absolutely pop Eddard and, and get those wounds back. So he's great. I think you should absolutely have him. I wouldn't call him an auto-include because it's hard to include auto-include five-cost NCUs, but you're going to want to have him if you if you're in a game mode where you can't fail panic tests you can go ahead and pop the order token to reroll and the great great wording there of any dice on that test so you can single out just the dice that you want to reroll for a better result uh that's awesome there if it was you can reroll the test and you have to roll all the dice then that's not nearly as good so it's great that it's worded that way and the heels are there if you need them 
but I do have just a, just a tiny bit of issue with just so many units and abilities requiring you to be on your last rank to, for them to be effective. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's a fair point. Uh, it's kind of something we discussed in the first part about how, you know, their new identity of needing to be, you know, it was already sort of their identity before, but you didn't see it that much. Now it's all over the place, so it's definitely a more defined uh, identity for the Starks. And the problem being is that uh, often their abilities are barely stronger, if only just as strong as other factions' uh, abilities, and the other factions don't have to hurt themselves. Uh, the upside I do see with it, though, is... Um, the only way to actually heal four out of this ability is to be at last rank. And even if you're at full at last rank, you can't go up to full, like you're, you can't go up to three ranks. Meaning, uh, when you start using your card effects, you're only going to take one wound from, let's say, Winter's Might or Northern Ferocity, because uh, you'll only be at two ranks with that heal. If you try to save him, reserve him for only when you're at last, uh, last rank and then heal um that way even though you healed four and then you use the effect and take one uh it's still better than having you know used it at a different moment and another thing to point out that uh you know i i just remembered but definitely knew beforehand is you can use as many order tokens uh as you want as far as being able to use each ability once. So you can use it once to reroll the panic test, and then you can use it again to uh, heal if that reroll for the panic test passed. So you won't be able to use it over and over to heal a bunch of times on the same unit or keep rerolling the panic test, but you'll be able to use uh, one order token for each effect on the same um, uh, unit in the same panic test. Uh, to, you know, let's say your unit's about to die, and you're like, okay, I failed this panic test, and they're, if a failed panic test kills them, okay, let's use an order token. Let's make sure that they stay alive. Okay, I, I passed. Okay, now I'm going to use another order token, and I'll heal this unit back up to help prevent them from dying, especially if you run Great John and have the ability to stay alive uh, by performing a panic test and you fail that panic test uh, to stay stay alive, you can re-roll, re, even re-roll that with uh, this ability, and then, um, at least I believe so, uh, I don't know if either of you have it on hand. Does uh, Great John say morale test or panic test? It might say morale, in which case, if it is, then uh, Eddard would not work. Let's see. Pretty sure to the last is a morale, because it's the same thing on my Baratheon, uh, Kingsman, and Queensman. Uh, let's see. Great job. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Morale, test. morale. Yep. Okay, so if it does have the same precedent as it, it shall not end until my death, uh, John's uh, 1.6 card, uh, where let's say you die from the wounds, you would then take... Uh, to the last, pass a morale test, stay alive with one wound, become panic vulnerable, but then you would still have to take your panic test. And then if you die from that panic test, you could use Eddard 
to stay alive. And then if you stay alive, you can remove uh, one of his tokens to heal the unit. Cause I both, did have a question uh, on that. Yeah, go ahead. So when it says after rolling dice, I believe that includes any token manipulation. So if they spend the panic token and make you re-roll and you're currently failing, now that is after you've rolled the dice and then you can spend the order token to re-roll. I believe that's the precedent that's been set by some of these anti-token manipulation effects. Uh, let me check the rule book and see what the panic token says if it references after attack dice. Um, no, I mean, I. it looks like... Uh, well, yes, uh, because it would depend on who has uh, priority because it looks like it's the same. But if your opponent's the one attacking you uh, and they're causing a panic test from their attack, then yes, they would have to use their panic token first before you use your Eddard's token. But if somehow they were able to attack you, uh, let's say for set for charge on your own act, uh, activation where you have priority, then you could kind of be SOL if you use Eddard's order to re-roll, and then they use the panic token token to make you re-roll that re-roll. Um, so, most cases, yes, that would uh, that would be Eddard will have the last say, but you just have to be careful not to mistake who has priority. Yep, that sounds good. Um, I uh, just wanted to make sure because uh, sometimes that will come up in a game if you're triggering his ability. And that, that makes it more useful if you are in that situation where you're into the last and you have to pass that last panic check. Then uh, they spend that panic token to, to try to make you fail. You can try to still survive. And uh, I know a lot of people are on the Holland Reed train. You know, he's amazing. Minus one to hit, hindering rough. Uh, but he has to activate. He has to influence something. And whatever he influences, the only thing he is affecting. Uh, don't, uh, I, everyone listening, don't sleep on Eddard for five points. You know, he has four order tokens that can apply uh, across the battlefield at the moment you need it. Um, you know, having both is awesome too, but sometimes you don't want to invest 10 points. You know, a lot of times you might only be willing to do nine uh, but Eddard is definitely, uh, I would say, I like Eddard better than Holland. Holland, for me, is just, uh, he'll be a little more dependent on my list, whereas Eddard, I'd feel comfortable running Eddard in any list at any time for Starks. Uh, Holland, just personal preference, I'd like to kind of reserve him for more of a like gimmicky, try to get as minuses on the field as I can sort of a list. So, uh, yeah, we'll see uh, We'll see how that goes. Next up, and lastly for the NCUs, we have Arya Stark. Um, so this is probably my number one disappointment for Starks as far as, like, individual cards or units. She is four points now, but instead of start of a round, 
She is once per game at the start of an enemy turn, target one friendly infantry unit. It performs one maneuver or retreat action. Excuse me. Um, so I almost feel like she got worse because before you could use her at the start of a, a round in which you went first. So I know that they added the fact that it can be a retreat action, uh, but it still only targets infantry. And I don't know. I, I personally, this is like one of the only things in 2021 that I can almost honestly say I would never run. I, I'd only run this if I wanted to be thematic or if I really wanted to try to get um, Jack and Hagar a one-point uh, attachment uh, in my list. And even then, I'd probably run three NCU list to make sure that Aria wasn't only one of two NCUs. Uh, one thing that came to mind that would be cool to have her is like Sansa and be, uh, you know, two order tokens. And then uh, at the start of any turn, you know, get a free uh, maneuver action. And that's it. Uh, that way, it's almost like swift advance. So if you want your, you know, because now that we only have uh, swift reposition for the Starks, it would be nice to have, uh, you know, swift advances back, but you ha you're paying for it. You know, you're paying a four-point cost to have your swift advances back. Uh, maybe that might be too powerful. Um, I guess that would be something that would have to go into playtesting. But as is, I just, I don't, I can't see myself ever running this ability compared to any of the other amazing options that they've come out with, uh, especially now that Serio, who is definitely the better of the two uh, between him and Jacken, the better of the two attachments, now you can have Edder to unlock him. So there's, again, no incentive there to have to run Arya. Uh, Cyrus, what do you think of Arya? Arya Stark, the wolf girl. Woof. This change is, <laughs> is, is pretty rough. Uh, so she was brought in a lot of lists in 1.6, mostly for the fact that she was three points. And there was some combos that you can make, particularly with the old Cranigman trackers, where you could give her, could her, have her give them a free maneuver and they get a free shot. That doesn't exist anymore. If it did, it might be a cool combo. You can shoot somebody on your on the enemy's turn. Uh, but Cranium Tractors don't have that anymore. In fact, I don't think there's a whole lot of interaction with free maneuvers anymore other than, I think, a couple minor heals and uh, some minor heals on retreats. So basically, you're just on the enemy's turn trying to position to where they either can't charge you or can't attack you and might have to charge you to be able to attack you. So it's it's pretty rough, very situational. The retreat action, if you roll poorly, and or if you're trying to get out of combat and roll poorly, they're still going to be able to charge you and get their charge bonus. So th there's there's a couple interactions that she might work in, but not very many. And I know that they were, like I said earlier, they're trying, they were trying to get away from units being auto includes. 
they succeeded with Arya because she's definitely not an auto-include. She is a extremely, extremely situational include. Uh, and that's about all I can say for her. Yeah, which is disappointing because she's, you know, I like Arya in the books uh, and in the show. I just, I know, I'm I'm hoping that something changes with her, uh, but we'll we'll have to see. Spencer, uh, what's your take on her? Yeah, she's probably the most situational NCU possibly in the game, um, which is somewhat saying something when even Roderick who is somewhat situational is, is uh, not as situational as her. Um, she works with a couple commanders. She can do some interesting stuff. I don't think it's competitive. It would be fun, though. Uh, Rob Stark to just give him his regroup. Uh, the Kranig men survivalist to do the retreat where the opponent can't pivot and they become weakened. Um, yeah, that's running around it. Uh Brandon Tully with set for charge if you have it in your hand. But not a whole lot of great options for her. Um, kind of hoping Simon's looking at her and looks to make some changes going forward. Yeah, I mean, now that she's four points, I feel like she doesn't need to have this, like, once-per-game ability anymore. Like, she could be some sort of a maneuver boost influence um you know because i understand this is Arya stark the wolf girl she's not like some trained fighter yet uh you know assuming that all she has is kind of serio's uh training you know she might just be able to best like an average person but definitely wouldn't be able to fight any sort of uh soldier um but you know she uh I don't know. I think uh, she could definitely, now that she's in the four-point realm, which, you know, is the minimum, she could definitely see either a tweak to this to just be more worth the four points, or you could just redesign her completely. Before, the fact that she was three points, it's hard to argue uh, an ability that's kind of average to weak uh, on a three-point unit because it's three points for an activation. But now that she's on the same level as more than half of other all other NCUs, um, you know, you would definitely have to uh, give her a boost somehow. Because again, I just like you were saying, Spencer, you'd have to really build around her. You'd have to want to run uh, Jack and Stark, Jack, and, and uh, attachment. You'd have to run like a commander, like John, that, or not John, sorry, Rob, that worked with her well. Maybe even run like Tully Cavalier. But now you're investing your commander eight points in the Tully Cavaliers, uh, one point in the Jack and Hagar, and then four points for her to really make this once per game on an enemy turn. Uh, do a retreat or maneuver action, which would still be super situational uh, because you'd have to wait for your opponent to have activated so they don't just recharge you. Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, run uh, Blackfish uh, on their turn, knowing you have a set for charge card in your hand or something. I don't know. I just, 
super situational. I really hope uh, we maybe see a change with her, um, you know, because most of the things that we see here, you can definitely, you know, work around and make useful. Her, she's, I have to say it, she's one of the things that I really I hope has a change uh, for the Starks. Uh, because I would definitely love to use her a lot more. Um, then we're going to jump into the commanders. Uh, we're going to go over the commander attachment and then all three cards, uh, and then kind of talk talk about them as a as a whole. Uh, first up, we're going to do Brendan Tully, the Outrider Commander. He has the Order Sentinel, which is after another friendly unit in long range is attacked. This unit performs one charge or maneuver action. If charging, it must target the attacker and gives elusive escape. This unit may reroll any retreat distance dice. Enemies this unit disengages from may not pivot and become weakened. Uh, his first tactics card is Ride by Attack. When a friendly cavalry unit selects its action during its activation, before resolving that action, as its action, that unit may pivot, then perform one march action, even if engaged. It may move through enemies during this march. Enemies it disengages from may not pivot. After completing this march, one enemy it moved through suffers one wound, plus one wound for each of the enemy's remaining ranks. Uh, second card is Ride Them Down. When an enemy ends a maneuver, march, or retreat action, target one friendly cavalry unit in long range that can charge that enemy. It performs one charge action on that enemy. If it, it, if it successfully charges that enemy, instead of performing a melee attack, that enemy becomes panicked and suffers two hits for each remaining rank in this unit. Um, uh, well, I'll, I'll mention the last card before I jump into that card. But uh, when it, and then the last card is Marshall. When an unengaged friendly cavalry unit activates once this turn, it, that unit would perform a maneuver action. Instead of performing that action, it may restore three wounds and remove one condition token. This one I'll briefly mention that it's super useful if you're already super close to where you wanted to go, and you can just replace that free maneuver action with a cavalry unit and just heal through wounds, remove a weakened or something. So this car is just overall useful. What I wanted to mention about ride them down, which might make Arya situationally useful, would be kind of cool if someone ended their march uh, and within your uh, ability to charge, and you use this card to then... Uh, charge into them, do this effect, then use uh, Arya at the start of their next uh, enemy turn to retreat, and then activate with them and actually charge in. Uh, I think that could be a kind of cool interaction. Uh, that, work four points again. That would not work. Oh. Uh, Arya only works on infantry. Oh, yep, you're right. And this only works on cavalry. You are correct. For some reason, I was thinking that the, even though I mentioned it when we were talking about Arya, uh, I thought uh, I thought that she worked on anything. Uh, yeah, if she yeah. did work on anything, that would be okay. You could keep your cavalry out of being charged, but no, it's infantry only. Yeah. Oh well, I tried. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the superstar of the three cards, in my opinion, is the ride by attack. This is something that we've seen with Caldrogo. Uh, they've clean. I know it's a lot of words, but 
really they've cleaned up this card so much. And in my opinion, even though it's a lot of words, it is very clear. It's very clear what and how it does what it does. Um, if someone's at full ranks, assuming they're uh, you know three rank uh, tray, you know infantry or something, you're doing a full ranks worth of wounds by doing this and getting behind your opponent. Uh, I mean, and then on top of that, if you have uh, something else to be able to um, then charge them, uh, you know, let's say you're going first next round, you could then rear charge them if they don't turn around. And if you have other cavalry units, you could, if they turn around, you could then charge them uh, from what was their front into their rear now. Um, so yeah, I think this card's amazing, amazingly strong, not only for just skimming a whole rank off of a, a unit, but, uh, but for being able to just get behind their lines. Another key target for this card would be finding whatever unit your opponent has that degrades a lot from like first rank down to second rank. Cause I think like, uh, I want to say it's sworn brothers go from like seven to five. I mean, doing this to a sworn brothers unit would be amazing because, you know, granted at five attacks, they're still pretty potent. They're not going to be able to like, just, you know, charge in and decimate a unit. Now, you know, at five dice, especially if you pass your panic test, you know, they're, they're only going to be taking a bit, a little bit out of you. Um, so yeah, definitely my favorite card of his three. And then the, his abilities in themselves, I think he's key to be in uh, Outriders, not that he can't be in anything else, but just the elusive escape combined with uh, the Outriders' ability to get a free uh, retreat is uh, too good of a combo, I think, to pass up, especially being able to put your commander in a seven-point unit rather than an eight-point unit, like if we're talking Tully Cavs or Flademan or something. Uh, Spencer, what do you think about... Uh, uh, outrider commander here. So I really like him and I actually want to get a game in with him at some point soon, but um, I think he's really interesting. And as you said, his synergy is made basically for, for Stark outriders. Uh, you actually Which might be able sense. to benefit. Yeah. But you might actually be able to benefit from their ambush ability, which we complained about last time. Um, <laughs> so that yep. would be a good thing. Um, and the martial ability works really well with them because they can be like, okay, I took an attack, now I retreat, activate, heal three, and go do something else. Um, the sentinel ability, because I play Baratheons, I use it all the time. It's very useful, very very good for getting yourself in a great position to get flank or rear. Um, it's, it's very good. Uh, the ride-by attack is it's good. It's been cleaned up. It's going to of what you probably want it to do, at least, you know, a rank probably worth of wounds, because uh, even if they're not at full ranks, they're probably somewhat damaged and not exactly at second rank. Um, very good stuff. I struggle with the ride them down, because I go, even at full ranks, I'm making you panicked with four hits. Now, I get it. I didn't have to, you know, it's on my opponent's action, not mine which is a big deal as well. Uh, it just doesn't seem that powerful. 
because now I've lost my charge when, you know, Tully Cav or something where it's like, well, I need, I want my Lance, you know, to be auto two hits and I don't have that now. Um, again, Stark Outriders will love it. Uh, probably Hedge Knights or uh, Bloody Mummers might love or the Zorus Riders might like it. Uh, the Tully Cav themselves loving it, though. But overall, he's actually think, really good. I think one thing to point it down with, write him down, is, yeah, you're definitely going to have to combo some stuff. I think uh, the fact that it's a reaction is nice, because then you can follow it up with your activation being an NCU on the maneuver zone. But it's not going to be a card that jumps out as just super useful in any situation. You're going to have to do a little setup for this card to really see your value out of it. But I think it uh, has a high floor, but also a high ceiling of potential. Um, Cyrus, what do you think about this commander? So I also, I, I spoke on it last time. I did not get involved in the Kickstarter. I wish I had. I've been kicking myself ever since. So I did not get the Outrider model, but I've, pl- I've uh, substituted him in a couple times, proxied him in, and played a couple games. I tried him in several all-cavalry lists, which were fun as heck, but... I just always recommend running mixed lists if you can. Try to have some infantry, some range, some cavalry. If you specialize all in one thing, you're going to find yourself missing. But that's not the point. Uh, Brandon Tully Outrider Commander is excellent. Sentinel is one of the best new abilities going right now. Free charges are at a premium. Uh, They are excellent when you get just a free charge on your turn. Elusive Escape is also good. Uh... Going to ride by attack, if you are an outrider and you're staring down the front of a heavy armored unit and you're not confident in your ability to get through that armor, just pivot a little bit, go through the unit if you're close enough, just go straight into the the rear of the unit, or if you're not close enough to be able to make it, just clip a corner and just jump over a corner of that tray and end up in their flank. They're going to take auto wounds because you pass through them, and now you're in their flank for a follow-up charge next turn. Ride by attack is great. I agree with uh, ride them down. It's pretty tricky, but it is free hits on your opponent's turn. So you can't. It, it, maybe flayed men might benefit from that. I know they get abilities on the charge, but locking them up, for maybe a follow-up attack with their intimidating presence might help out uh, from from something like that. And, and they become panicked from write them down. Yeah, yeah they they become panicked, and uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty good setup there. I, I can't remember if there's any abilities now when a unit is charged. I know it used to be if they were charged, they become panicked with the flayed men, but I can't remember what if any abilities there are right now. Uh, I'd have to look at that. And the Marshall is also excellent. You're just getting a horse back and removing a condition token. You just have to sacrifice your free maneuver that you you get for free. You can still march after you sacrifice that maneuver. Uh, so, yeah, just just excellent. I, I love him as a commander. I love these cards. Uh, I'm definitely going to be trying to get some games in with him. Yep. And I think, uh, you know, something that none of us pointed out that uh, dawned on me uh, is just the write them down. I think, like, the most uh, useful part of this card is just 
um, because you can trigger it off a retreat action. A lot of times people are only going to retreat if they're scared for their lives. You know, they're only going to choose their <laughs> yeah. action instead yep. of attacking you. They're like, oh, man, I'm down to three wounds. I need to get out of here before they get a free uh, – or before they get this victory point. And then, okay, that those hits may actually convert into a killed unit. Um, I believe, let's see, instead of performing a melee attack, that enemy becomes – so, unfortunately, if you do do this, you will not get a surge forth because this it would be replacing the attack as just an ability um, and the – what gives you a search forth is the ending of a melee attack. Uh, so, but you will be able to reactively uh, charge into a retreating unit and kill them uh, before they really get away. Um, and so because I got a quick become... question I'm confused on. So by ride by attack, let's say you do wounds because it's replacing the attack with that. Does it not cause a panic test if you, they take wounds? Correct. Okay. Yep. Because I was wondering that. Do... I was like, I feel like it would be better to be vulnerable, so I could actually try and do wounds with the the hit. But if it's not because it's not causing a panic check. Are you talking about ride them down or ride by attack? Uh, hang on, let me check. Which one is it? The uh, one we're currently talking about is ride them down. Ride them down. Yes. I was thinking write them down, where I was like, because it replaces okay. the attack, it doesn't cause a panic check, right? Both, yeah, both of them technically. So ride by attack and write them down both do not cause a panic check because neither are attacks. They're just abilities that are doing wounds and hits. Um, so, yes, it would be kind of cool to see that panic token be a vulnerable. That way you could at least make them re-roll those hits. Then again, uh, uh uh, Starks have a decent amount of ways of putting out vulnerable tokens compared to any other tokens. So uh, you could always, knowing you have write them down in your hand, uh, place a vulnerable on that unit, and then um, be able to make them re-roll those hits. And then they'll be panicked for, let's say you haven't activated yet, uh, then actually attack them with the panic token on them. So again, it's it's high high ceiling, uh, but a high floor of potential for this card. Um, next up, we have uh, Brendan Tully, the Blackfish, so the, the foot-on-foot version. He gives the affiliation House Tully, uh, gives Stalwart plus two morale to the unit he's in, and then he has Stand Your Ground, which is each time an enemy performs a melee attack on this unit, if this unit is only engaged with one enemy, that enemy does not gain charge, flank, or rear bonuses. This is important to note that uh, this is from any uh, any angle. So you could be charged in the front, side, or rear. And as long as there's only one person, uh, it doesn't matter if you're charged or you're just being attacked. It will, and it's not in order. So this is applying all the time, every time, as long as it's just a one-on-one -on -one fight. Uh, super strong. Um, he has set for charge still, but uh, so set for charge, the card got better and worse. Uh, so a lateral change. I would say it barely got better, um, even though it 
got worse in some ways. Uh, but overall, its strength did increase because now it, you can do it from the front or the flank. But they no longer have a house tully bonus of making the opponent weaken. Um, which is sad. I know the card got super strong, but as I'll mention here in a second, I'm I'm only sad to see it go because it there's only one card out of three cards that even give a bonus for House Tully, meaning the House Tully affiliation, in my opinion, does not really matter. Uh, so he has refused to yield. After a friendly unit passes a panic test, all enemies engaged with that unit become vulnerable. Test this card to that unit until it fails a panic test. While attached, each time this unit passes a panic test, all enemies engaged with that unit become vulnerable. If this card is attached to a house Tully, it gains plus one to panic test rolls. Super strong. Um, next up, we have Warcry. When a friendly combat unit activates, this unit performs one morale test. On a success, target one enemy in long, it becomes panicked and vulnerable. So, strong card, strong commander. Uh, I'm a little disappointed with him because I was a huge uh, Blackfish fan. He was my favorite commander for Starks. Um, not being able to heal for his main ability, and I know Stand Your Ground's really strong. I just really liked the heal ability. Um, his cards no longer heal. Uh, so Blackfish overall just, he adds defense to your army, but he doesn't heal at all. So uh, yeah, set for charge, amazing, uh, especially when combined with offensive units to be able to attack before your uh, opponent attacks. Refuse to yield, the only card that gives a benefit to, a benefit to a house total unit. I, I would in a perfect world, I guess I would prefer all three cards to have a house Tully benefit because, um, I mean, they have two, uh, they have the Cavaliers and the Shields. Then they have um, Blackfish himself because Edmir is probably going to come out uh, at some point. You have all these ways to have house Tully stuff, but if you only have one card, I mean, I guess it will depend on what Edmir has. If Edmir has two or three of his cards all give bonuses to House Tully. Um, yeah, uh, Warcry. I like the ability. It's one of those abilities that I just really don't care for on a tactics card. Um, but I mean, it's two tokens uh, and it's just long range, so it's not like you need line of sight or anything. So, I mean, it's not terrible. It's just nothing that I'm going to see and be like, alright, awesome. I, I drew this card. But uh, I'll definitely be able to make useful, uh, use of it. Um, this will be, I guess, one of those ways to get a vulnerable token out there. I don't know. I guess you know we're talking about a different commander, so you, that wouldn't apply. I was thinking of uh, for um, to combo with the write them down, but never mind. Um, Same guy though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Overall, a strong commander. Um, like I said, I just. Uh, it's. I was such a big Blackfish fan that that's why I guess I'm a little disappointed in him. But uh, trying to speak uh, subjectively, I think he's a great commander. Um, Spencer, what do you think of, uh, of the Footfish? Uh, the Footfish. Um, I think he's interesting, and I think he's going in more Monchi Bears. 
um, to make their war cry be on a four plus and be able to use his war cry card on a four plus. Um, he he also brings defensiveness to a unit that's offensive, so berserkers are not a bad idea, just to add more defense to them. Um, really nice cards. I, I actually like them. Uh, yeah, it, it is unfortunate that only one card cares about the Tully commander, so or the Tully unit or affiliation. Uh, I do agree. I think Edmir will come at some point, and he might be the Tully uh, affiliation guy, but. For now, the Tully affiliation isn't a big deal. Um, uh, refuse to yield, I think, is really cool, and that is a decent ability. It's not fantastic that for the House Tully, but it is a decent ability for, to add uh, to a House Tully unit. Um, set for charge is still set for charge. Still going to kind of think about it when you're playing against them. That's not going anywhere. Uh, and... The war cry is war cry. I mean, it's it's going to get you two tokens at the start of an activation, or maybe right before you attack. And because it's when you activate, you could actually com- combo it with, like, Winter's Might and uh, Northern Ferocity to have bonus effects added to them, to your attack, while they're having tokens on them. Overall, I, yep. I like him. He, he's a nice commander. So one, and one thing to point out that... Uh, that you had briefly mentioned is that, you know, because the affiliation doesn't really matter, uh, I would almost say that a key unit to maybe put him in is just the Sworn Shields. I mean, yes, you don't make use of his affiliation keyword, but if you're already running, like, Cavaliers plus him and some Shields, I mean, he only has one card that even matters for it. So, uh and refuse to yield, I mean, you only have two of them, so you could place them on both Tully units. You could place them on your Blackfish and some Shields to make them plus one, and then throw them on some Cavaliers to make them plus one. And then now, if you have Cavaliers next to your Blackfish, they have a two-up morale, because they'll be at a six. Blackfish makes them a four. Refuse to yield makes them a three. And then the Embolden makes them a, uh, a two. And now... You not only have a two-up morale with a three-up save with shield wall, with stand your ground, uh, and you're a commander unit in a in a six-point investment. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, you're not going to be able to really swing very hard. You know, you're hitting on fours with seven seven dice or five dice, or whatever, at first or second rank. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be such a tank to take out for six points that a lot of the times, uh, unless your opponent has like a expert duelist or some way to really deal with it their best bet is to probably just ignore the thing um especially because you have lots of ways to make your opponent vulnerable and panicked uh that your hits may not do that much but compared to what they're going to be doing to you it's not going to be much at all um having a two up say or two up panic uh or morale stat also means that you could auto-trigger Eddard NCU uh, pretty much every single time um, for all of his tokens to really just make sure that the unit never dies. Uh, But yeah, I I wanted to point that out, but I think uh, you know, that's definitely a a solid place to put them there and the She-Bears, depending on if you want more of a, like, 
defensive unkillable unit or more of like a support role with the she bears because the she bears are definitely more offensive with that uh potential of plus one to hit um and then the the active war cry all the time so i think both would be uh uh good uh places for him cyrus what do you think of uh the footfish Oh, David, David, David. Let me try to cheer you up a little bit, because let me tell you, Brendan Tully's still excellent. Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you put him in bloody mummer skirmishers, and a unit tries to charge you, they lose their charge bonus, they're getting disrupt, and they have counter-strike. If you happen to also have Helen Reed, and they're influencing that unit, they're suffering minus two to hit with no re-rolls and counter-strike. He doesn't have to hit them back. They're punching themselves in the face. <laughs> for charge combos really well with the sworn sword captain because you can pop the sword sword captain when they charge in you get your own re-rolls and make them vulnerable they're probably coming in at least a rank down potentially too if you hit them hard enough so set for charge is also excellent and has some good combo potentials with other cards or and other abilities refuse to yield is a little bit tricky I do like, because you see you refuse to yield in a couple other factions as well. They're just like little vulnerable explosions if you happen to be engaged with uh, more than one unit and you pass that panic test. And as we know, vulnerable is probably one of the best tokens in the game right now. Uh, an argument could be made for, for weakened, but I think vulnerable is probably the best. So just making uh, a unit potentially two, if you're really lucky and unlucky at the same time, three vulnerable tokens at once if you have, if you're surrounded it it it, it, it can it can work for you and then war cry imagine war cry on the tully cavaliers so they're about to charge somebody they pop their own war cry because since it's a tactic card you can use it on any unit on, that you have you don't necessarily have to rely on a unit bringing it themselves and you make an enemy vulnerable and panic before you charge them down with lance cavalry they're going to have a bad day so I, these cards are excellent. His attachment is, is as excellent. It's changed, but I don't think he's gotten worse. Yeah, I definitely think he's he's still great. Uh, I think I'm only disappointed because of the play style. Uh, I just really like the healing aspect. I think I think that's a big reason why I'm hugely on the Greyjoy train right now. Um, I'll just call it the gravy Greyjoy train. <laughs> uh, I've been playing them a ton. I think I have like 15 games in with Greyjoys right now. Uh, mm. And I'm loving them. Uh, but uh, I think that's the only reason I'm disappointed with Blackfish is just because he doesn't do the healing. But for everyone listening, I, that's not to say I don't think he's great. I think he's just great in a different way, uh, like you were mentioning. And, you know, there's so many like cool things he can do, and he's super defensive. Um, I just, I'll have to play him a bunch to kind of see if I can adapt to his new play style and see if, you know, I can kind of make a lateral change in my, in my own preference of him. Um, next up we have Roderick, uh, the master at arms. He has the order Mark target, uh, and boldness to courage, which boldness to courage is now only plus one attack die at full ranks. Um, I want to say other than that small change, he's exactly the same as he was before. Uh, so one thing I want to note with him I thought was funny because now that uh, he does not have uh, 
the same cards as he did before. Um, because he, in my opinion, he was like a perfect add to Stark Bowman, which is still a, a really strong. Uh, ta- like that's still one of the top options is putting him in, in with Bowman. Um, I was, you know, I was like, okay, Berserkers are perfect for like everyone. Uh, and then I, I was like, okay, boldness and courage. But then I was like, you know, what, wait, I actually think that makes their profile be eight seven eight, which <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny um, because it doesn't. It counts them as one more rank, not uh, like one more value of dice, the way like Catlin will say attack at your highest uh, dice. So boldness and courage in a unit where their dice uh, get better as they get weak uh, <laughs> doesn't really help out much. So, um, so he is the one commander that I would not put in Berserkers almost no matter what for that reason. Um, but... Him and Bowman, uh, still really great. His first card is Combat Prowess. When an enemy is targeted by an ability or tactics card, you may expend one condition token from that unit. If you do, cancel the effect of that ability or tactics card. And also has an uh, additional ability you can choose from, which is start of a friendly turn. Target one engaged friendly combat unit and remove one condition token from that unit. Uh, next up, we have Martial Superiority. When an enemy is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice, you may expend one vulnerable token from the attacker. If you do, the attack suffers minus one to hit, and the attack, uh, attacker suffers one hit for each miss. And then lastly, as press the advantage, when a friendly unit is performing an attack before rolling attack dice, if the defender is panicked, this attack rolls its highest attack die value. If the defender is vulnerable, the attack gains plus one to hit, if the defender is weakened, they lose all abilities and cannot be the target of friendly tactics cards uh, until the end of the turn. Overall, um, he has good tactics cards. I like them. They have a lot of potential. Uh, I definitely feel like they got, other than one of his cards, I forget the name of them all, but uh, Martial Superiority, in my opinion, got weaker. Uh, Press the Advantage, I think, got weaker. Um, and then I think Combat Prowess was the name of his card as well but uh that before he had two amazing cards and one that was just kind of eh, like situational uh now i would say uh, all of his cards are good but none of them stand out as like amazing um so but they do have a lot of potential uh so martial superiority Um, expending a vulnerable token means they had to have a vulnerable to begin with. Uh, If you do, they suffer minus one to hit. And so basically having disrupt and counter strike all in one card, but you're expending a vulnerable to do it. Um, I don't know. I would much rather see it change to just needing to have a vulnerable there, but not needing to expend it. Uh, but I guess if you have an abundance of vulnerable tokens and ways to get them out there, then uh, you know you could expend it and then just put it back on them. Uh, but the downside to it is because you're expending that vulnerable for this card, you then won't be able to use the vulnerable uh, for re-rolling those uh, hits back. Uh, press the advantage again. You'll be able to reliably get the uh, plus one to hit for the vulnerable token, but as we kind of mentioned before, weakened is not easy to get in a Stark faction unless maybe you're running Mummers. Uh, so I guess maybe 
uh, kind of like we were talking about before, uh, like you mentioned, Cyrus, about uh, the Blackfish, you know, running some mummers with him. Maybe mummers are a key place for Roderick as well to get some uh, weakened tokens out there. And then Stark have a decent amount of ways to get panic tokens. Uh, you just kind of have to run key things to do that. And then lastly, uh, combat prowess. Um, I think, uh, you know, canceling the effect of an ability or tax card is very rare. So I guess, I guess you could argue this actually is an amazing card. The only part is, you know, the whole needing a condition token. Again, Starks don't have a You'd, you'd have to run a very specific build. So I guess that's what I've been saying a lot with Roderick here is that Roderick uh, could be probably one of the best Stark commanders, but you his weakness is that you have to run a very specific build with him. Like specific, you'll have to get a lot of condition tokens uh, generation in your list. Um, and then if you do that, his tactics cards will just, you know, they'll shine. The, you know, because uh, kind of as I had already mentioned before with previous uh, stuff we've talked about, you know, has a high floor, but also a high ceiling. He has a lot of potential if you can get those tokens out there. And then the optional effect of uh, removing a condition token for combat prowess is nice too, especially if you run Catlin with him. You could really kind of screw up uh, some... Uh, plans for some factions if you're constantly removing all their condition tokens. Uh, so overall, I like Roderick. I absolutely love his main abilities uh, on his uh, attachment card. Boldness, Courage, and Mark Target are amazing. Um, you just have to find the right unit to make the most effect out of them. Uh, Bowman is nice. Mark Target, though, being uh, within line of sight and long range means that you might only have limited options, whereas if you put him in a more offensive like melee unit, you'll have, uh, I think, a lot more targets to choose from. Granted, it is line of sight, uh, so if you do charge someone and you're 100% full on, just remember that that means the only person you can see is who you're engaged with. Um, yeah, uh, with that said, uh, Cyrus, uh, what do you think about uh, Roderick here? I think he might be my favorite Stark commander. I see a whole lot of potential with him. Ironically enough, he's the master at arms, but he's actually really good with ranged units, not just his attachment, but all of his conditions when it says you're rolling an attack, it doesn't specify melee attack. It just says when a, a unit is performing an attack. So it also works on ranged. Whenever I see... A, an ability that applies to both ranged and melee. My first thought is always Bastards Girls. And Roderick is perfectly at home in Bastards Girls. <laughs> he can mark the target and make them vulnerable. He can fire with five dice. If you play press the advantage, those five dice are hitting on twos. You can spend that vulnerable to make them reroll those defenses. And then you can make him vulnerable again from the Bastards ranged ability. And then you can charge him in with seven dice on the on the attack, it's just a terrific, terrific combo. You're spending uh, cards left and right, or, or uh, tokens left and right. Uh, Bowman also work uh, with the press the advantage card, uh, martial superiority because you're throwing 
out all these vulnerable tokens, you're going to be able to survive. If you're also running Howland Reed and they're suffering that minus one to hit, they get a minus two to hit. And it's basically a pocket uh, counter strike. Uh, Combat prowess is a, is a bit more situational uh, because it does say when an enemy is targeted by an ability or tactics card. I, I, I'm a little rusty on what they're meaning by targeted. If they mean, if they point to their own unit and say, this unit is using their ability, does that mean that the enemy's been targeted? I can't remember. But uh, if, if you can turn off an ability like that, that's great. Or tactics card, because there's a lot of powerful tactics cards out there that you can target enemies with. And then if, if that doesn't pop up, you can remove a condition token uh, because, as we said before, condition tokens are going to be big in, in 2021. So you can, you can ruin your opponent's plan if they're really counting on that condition token. I love the setup for Roderick, and I, he's probably going to be my favorite commander in Starks. Yeah, that's a great point, which is funny because I usually do one list for each commander for every faction in the War Council app, and I'm pretty sure I have him in Bastard Scrolls, which is funny that I didn't even think to mention it. It's just, I think, uh, old brain thinking of Bowman being the perfect target for him in the 1.6. Bastard Scrolls, I think, is um, the perfect home if you want, like, the most uh, potential uh, the funny thing is that, you know, we keep talking about all these neutral units that are perfect for all these commanders. Um, <laughs> That's a good point. And it's a little sad because I think as those that have already listened to the first uh, um, part of this, uh, of the Starks, know that there's, I feel like some of the units could use a little improvement. Well, um, though they're not, you know, they're still very useful but it's just sad when, you know, your first go-tos are neutral units where the neutral should be like toolboxes. Um, but uh, Boldness and Courage is awesome in pretty much every uh, unit. So I think Roderick, even though Bastard Girls are kind of the clear winner, I think he, he'll be great in just about any unit. Uh, Spencer, what do you think of Roderick here? Uh, so I agree with Cyrus. I think this is the best commander. Between looking just at his cards and his commander, he is phenomenal. Uh, I feel like he's a tactician's dream because of all the things he can do. His problem is token generation. Uh, you're kind of limited. The Bowman can put out a weaken if your opponent fails uh, their panic check. But you are looking kind of at neutrals for, like, skirmishers to get those. Um, She-Bears, I think, could work really well to give out more panicked and vulnerable to help trigger some of his cards. Phenomenal potential. Highest ceiling, I think, out of any of the Star Commanders. But if you're not getting the tokens out there, he's got the lowest floor. Um, He's, I think, in great players, he can be phenomenal but it's going to take a lot of testing to get used to knowing when to use what cards and what tokens you need to get rid of. Um, But the potential is definitely there and I see it. So next up we have great John Umber. 
So he has the order overrun and reckless hero, heroism. So overrun, uh, the only change that they've made to the overrun is that you can no longer pivot before you uh, declare the action. It's important to note that you can pivot after you've declared it. So it just means that you need to see your target before you actually charge into them. But after you, if you see them, you declare overrun, declare the charge action, you can then pivot from the charge action. But no longer does overrun itself give you a pivot. Um, and then reckless heroism allows you to take D3 wounds in order to get a, an auto six on all charge distance dice. So if something's making you roll additional dice, it doesn't matter. This will essentially get by all of those and it will get by, um, you know, anything that's going to try to, uh, you know, make you roll. Yeah. Make you roll additional dice or whatnot. Uh, it will not get by minusing. So if you go over rough, it's going to basically be a six plus your move minus one. Um, yeah, uh, a great. And then he gives a house umber affiliation. Berserker Tactics is his first card. When a friendly unit is performing a melee attack after rolling attack dice, this attack deals plus one wound, plus one additional wound for each of the attacker's destroyed ranks. After completing this attack, the attacker suffers two wounds, minus one wound for each of its destroyed ranks. And we have Lash Out. After an enemy completes a melee attack, if the defender was not destroyed, the attacker suffers two wounds for each of the defender's destroyed ranks. If the defender is a House Umber unit, the attacker also becomes panicked. And then lastly, Last Stand. When a friendly unit is destroyed before removing that unit, it performs one melee attack action using the highest attack die value. If this targets a House Umber unit, it may reroll any attack dice. So all very strong cards, very strong abilities. I think his only downside is the fact that uh, to really make use of his cards, you have to be like dead or near, you know, nearly dead or dead. Because uh, all of, you know, lash out doing two wounds back and a panic token, that's decent. You know, it's, you know, assuming you only have one rank gone. Uh, Last stand is when you die, which is not as big of a deal anymore now that uh, the North Remembers is the start of any turn card. And so you won't have to worry about uh, the concern I, I had mentioned plenty of times in the past where adding last stand to your deck created four when a friendly unit is destroyed uh, trigger. Uh, now you only have two of them. Um, and then Berserker Tactics, again, uh, it does plus one wound plus one for every destroyed rank uh, for each of the attackers. After completing this attack, you suffer two wounds. Um, so basically, you're really only going to want to use this at last rank, in my opinion. Even at one rank, you're doing two wounds and taking a wound. Uh, I mean, this will push through a panic test, which is nice. So if you have uh, any sort of vicious or panic token or anything like that, but... Uh, overall, uh, a fun commander, uh, very powerful late game. I think he'll he'll be the strongest commander late game for you. Um, you know, the overrun will be amazing if you can trigger that. Uh, Starks are definitely a, a strong faction for that ability because I know I just played uh, Tormund, and unless you get, you know, it's harder to you know, finish off a unit sometimes 
with some of the free folk uh, units unless you combined it with like the the spearwives um, or even I believe like Victarion in in Greyjoys, you know they have the potential to trigger that overrun, but I think Starks have a lot more tools to make it happen more reliably. And then the reckless heroism is awesome. You know it's always nice to see on a on a unit or on an attachment. And then being able to throw him in anything you want to make him house umber. Um, I forget what I put him in. Let me just check my list right here. Uh, I had like a go-to for him with the 21. Oh, uh, Bastards Girls. Uh, just being able to um, get uh, the auto charge. I can shoot you from long range and then just take D3 to myself, auto charge you. So now I've shot charged. You're vulnerable, uh, taking a vicious panic, and hopefully I overrun uh, through you with that combo there. Um, I know we keep mentioning neutral units, <laughs> and I'm sure that was probably your go-to as well, Cyrus. So what do you think? Uh... <laughs> it, it, it was. I'm sitting here looking right at my list, and he's writing the unit of Bastards Girls. It's not so much that it's just units. It's actually just Bastards Girls because they're so damn good. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. I'm great, John. I'm going to start with his cards first and go back to his attachment because there's something that I wanted to bring up. Uh, Berserker. Uh, so I'm pretty sure Great John ran for president of the Starks and won with the with the, the slogan "We're going to make Starks great, John again," because they have taken <laughs> his playstyle and made that the faction identity of the Starks with the self damaging and trying to survive on one wound. Uh, Berserker tactics, like you. Just much it's very good when you're on your last rank it's decent if you're on your second rank uh pairs pretty good if you are tempted to run brandon hodor because he does an auto wound you get an auto wound from this so you, if you happen to be uh a, down a rank or two you're dealing a bunch of auto wounds which are pretty rare to come across not rare but they're, they're uncommon in the game now in, in 2021 uh lash out is also pretty good uh that's it, that's really nothing too much to say i don't think it changed a whole lot and then last stand finally a good reward for while your units are out there trying to survive on their last rank if they do end up succumbing to to the offense of your opponent, you actually get to punch them back. So it's it's great. It all synergizes really well with the play style. Uh, he's probably my second favorite commander in the Starks. Um, like you said, overrun did change. You don't get the free pivot to be able to charge somebody that was behind you, which is fair. Overrun probably was the best keyword up until 2021. Now it's good but it's not great. You have to be able to see it coming and have to be able to set it up to where you still have somebody in line of sight after you destroy an opponent. Now with reckless heroism, I, I had a Facebook post. I'm not sure if you saw it. I asked a question. I like, I know the intent of the ability, but the wording is somewhat unfortunate in a lot of these abilities. It's very specific on when they trigger before rolling dice, after rolling dice, it says it. With this, it says before resolving that action, that action referring to your charge action, resolving makes it sound like ending the action. 
because you don't think of something as resolved until it's over. My question was, do you roll the die and see the result before triggering the ability? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that your charge is resolved until after you've moved the tray and moved the distance. I understand that that's probably not the intent. And I took a bit of a beating because there was a lot of people that disagreed with me. And I don't necessarily say that they're wrong. But there were a couple of people that thought I'd been onto something. Uh, what do you think? Um, I would say uh, you make a great point. Um, to be totally honest, I could see, I mean, if you want to ask what I think the intent was, I think the intent is obviously uh, you would do it, but you would choose to do it before you roll the dice. Because um, I think the, the point of resolving that action, I think the, the trigger for resolving that action was, because uh, you can make the argument that um, resolving, you know, could mean after it's completely done or before even performing like before you uh, has you've done any of it, uh, so I think intent-wise that uh, I would say that you would have to do it before rolling. But I think if we're talking straight up uh, rules as written, I think uh, there's no clear answer. I think you there's enough argument on both sides that uh, I personally, it's one of those very rare situations that I would go by intent only. I'm I'm really uh, like adamant about going by book, like by wording. But when the wording is so like 50-50, that's when I, I use intent as the tiebreaker, but only if both sides of the argument are just as valid. Uh, if if one side is like, oh, well, you know, there's they, they have a very flimsy case to their, to their argument, then I, I'll lean towards like the, the true uh, wording of it, um, but uh, but yeah, in this case, I think uh, it really comes down to how you um, decipher the you know the resolve uh, word here. You know what like the definition of it. So I, I mean, I pulled it up. Let's see, settle or find a solution to. Um, a problem, dispute, or continuous matter. So, I mean, or continue, continuous matter. Um, yeah, so I'm not quite sure. I would say that it's probably before you even roll. Um, yeah, but, and, I, and I don't even disagree. I, you know, it's not like I'm going to be fighting on this hill because I, I actually think that that is the intent, that you're supposed to uh, resolve this effect before rolling, but it's just that unfortunate wording because uh, like I said, a lot of abilities specify when you trigger the ability and this is just a little bit ambiguous to it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's just, uh, that's just what I thought on that ability. And there's are there are a couple units across the factions that have this, so it could come up uh, more than just a little while. Yep. Um, Spencer, what do you think of Great John, and in particular, kind of your thoughts about that uh, that like situation with the reckless heroism? So I uh, I can see both sides. Uh, I do think I would go as well with go with the intent. The intent was to be before. Hopefully, Simon will see that and clean up the wording at least to make it clear. Um, I do think it is intended to be before you roll, take your D3, 
you auto six. I actually wouldn't even be against if they changed the wording to be after you roll and you see you already don't make it, so you don't you can try and avoid some self damage. Um, but that that's more in Simon's ballpark of what do they want to do with it. Uh, overrun is still really good. Yes, you don't get to pivot before, so you have to be more lining up correctly so that you know you can see another unit before you finish off the first one. Um, I don't like that his cars are so punishing of you need to be so weak. Uh, Needing <laughs> to be at last rank to really get a benefit out of two of them and then be dead for the last one. Um yeah, their cards are potentially very powerful. I mean, when you do a melee attack, doing potentially three auto wounds with your attack is really powerful, but you have to be at last rank, which really only benefits uh, the Berserkers, really. Um, lash out, same problem. You, you need to be near dead and have just survived. Uh, and then I have to, you know, shed a tear because last stand and I'm a Baratheon player. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're solid. They're just, I don't like that I have to be that close to dead to really get the full benefit of that card, of the, any of these cards. I think uh, the the thing about that is just, I guess, play style and, uh, you know, it's nice that you could just choose like not to run him. Uh, so like if you want to really be that like super late game, super strong faction, like he's your perfect commander to choose from. Uh, and to kind of briefly uh, mention about the reckless heroism one more time before we move on is that uh, in a vacuum, just looking at Great John, no other uh, attachment in the, or unit in the game that has this ability. If we just look at Great John, I could see before or after being just fine, uh, depending on what Simon wanted to go with. Just because Great John, he has two abilities, because uh, I don't really count the affiliation as like something that you'd have to pay for, are both situational orders. Uh, whereas most commanders have uh, like one order and one ability that's all the time. The fact that he has two situational uh, orders is why I'd be okay with the role being before or after. But there are some combos like uh, Reckless Heroism on Theon uh, Greyjoy Attachment. Uh, if it was before or after, I think would be, uh, or if it was, you could choose to do it after you roll, I think would be too strong because you could combo potential that into a lot of different things. Um, whereas Great John is. I, you know, he's he's a commander, you know, so he's he should be a bit better than, uh, you know, just a regular attachment. Um, but, yeah, I just want to mention that part. I think uh, Great John would be fine if it was after, but there's some potential where being able to choose after would be maybe a little too strong. Uh, next up, uh, we got two more commanders. Uh, we're going to talk about Holland Reed. So he has the order superior flanking. When a friendly unit in long range performs an attack uh, before rolling attack dice, if the defender is in the rear or flank, the defender becomes panicked and vulnerable. Let's see, when a friendly unit in long range performs an attack. So you could actually use this on bowmen, and if you shoot with your bowmen uh, in the flank or rear, 
the defender would become panicked and vulnerable. And if they fail that panic test, because you have a panic on them now, a panic token on them, they would uh, trigger the Bowman ability and become weakened and lose their abilities. Um, he has the affiliation Kranigman, uh, and then disrupt. Enemies engaged with this unit suffer minus one to hit. Now, important to note, he changed because uh, I believe he used to have Agile, or no, it was the Mummers that had Agile, and so you could put him in Mummers and get a minus two. Uh, for those that didn't notice the change, um, they both say disrupt now, so you can't put them together to get a minus two. You'd only get a minus one, uh, which is fair. Uh, I think just being able to simply put a commander in a unit and then have a minus two, uh, that's super powerful. Uh, it's not only super powerful, it's super annoying. Um, it's almost just as annoying as getting your unit one shot to also have a unit that's so unkillable. It doesn't matter how many dice you throw at the thing. Uh, you're just kill either not doing anything or killing yourself. So uh, I'm definitely fine with Holland uh, uh, not stacking with Mummers. I do want to point out, now that I'm seeing, like, you know, between Umber, Kranigman, and Tully, my OCD is just going crazy. Simon, please, if anything, listen to this. Please just make affiliation, the heart, the very top ability on every single time that you place affiliation. Uh, sometimes it's the top, sometimes it's the middle, sometimes it's the bottom. It would just be nice to have it be the top every single time, just if it's a hard ability, just right on top, or maybe always on bottom. I don't know, something like that. Uh, I don't know if there's like a rhyme or reason to why they put them top, bottom, or middle. Uh, Maybe depending on if it's an order or like an like an ability that they always have or an innate one, but it drives me a little crazy. <laughs> uh, anyways, my OCD rant over. Uh, his first card is Kranich Traps. When an enemy unit activates, if that enemy is in long range of a friendly Kranichman unit, it suffers minus one move this turn. Target one terrain piece until the end of the round. Enemies treat that terrain as having the dangerous keyword. Next, we have Bog Devil Ambush. When an enemy unit activates, choose one. That enemy, If that enemy is long range of a friendly Kranigman unit, that enemy becomes weakened. Or uh, target one friendly unactivated Kranigman unit in long range. It performs one ranged attack action on that enemy. Um, so, or I guess I'll mention the last one before I move on. Uh, but start of any, uh, the unseen, the threat unseen, start of any turn, target one enemy combat unit. If there is an unengaged, friendly Kranigman unit in long range of that enemy, but not in line of sight, that enemy becomes panicked, then suffers one panic test. That one's a little confusing, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I wanted to mention with Bog Devil Ambush, I don't know if maybe this is a hint towards another Kranigman unit, but it that it has to be a targeted uh, friendly unit in long range when there is no long range Kranigman unit. Maybe they just did that because you're, they only say short and long and by saying short means they wouldn't be able to make it, uh, take advantage of that two inch shift. So that could entirely be the reason. But uh, then again, I would not put it past Simon to have there be a long range uh, Kranigman, uh, like Bowman unit uh, to for this card to trigger with. Um, 
But either way, a strong card, uh, a way to throw a weakened token out there um, to combine with uh, his disrupt ability uh, or just a free range attack from your Kranigman uh, trappers. Uh, or even if you throw him in some bowmen, uh, might be a, a great place to put him because now, like I was mentioning with superior flanking, uh, when you perform that bow attack in the flank, you can make them panicked and vulnerable and then uh, choose the Bog Devil Ambush that when that same, very same enemy activates, you could shoot them a second time, which would, uh, you know, ton of damage into the flank. Uh, could potentially destroy the unit just from that. Uh, and then... Uh, the Bog Devil Ambush, or sorry, uh, the Kranig Traps, also amazing, because uh, it's when they activate, uh, they'll have a minus one move, but not only that, you target one terrain piece. It doesn't matter if the unit is on the terrain piece. So if you target the piece they're on, having that dangerous keyword, that's D3 plus one auto wounds for every action they perform on top of that piece. Granted, it does state that a charge action in this instance is only counted, uh, you only count the dangerous keyword once, but still, I mean, that could be the difference between basically saying your unit doesn't get to activate because the only way to avoid that dangerous would be to uh, um, forego any action because remember that attacking the terrain, uh, let's say if it was destruct destructible, uh, uh, the dangerous keyword triggers before any action is taken. Uh, so you wouldn't even be able to like kill the, uh, destroy the hedge or something or the wall or the, uh, you know, I guess this would be the only two. But even I guess if you were on stakes naturally, uh, this card aside, uh, you wouldn't be able to beat on top of it and attack it without taking the damage. So super strong card I would say strongest card that he has then lastly the threat unseen uh, it's a cool concept and it um, becomes panicked and suffers a panic test is nice but it's a little too confusing I would just much rather I guess see some other ability uh, for him some other cool thing that wasn't uh, so I guess confusing and situational um, yeah, uh, Spencer, what do you think of uh, Holland here? I think I think he's in an interesting spot, um, both good and bad. The superior flanking, getting into a flank or rear isn't easy early game, so it's not really something that's going to happen, I think, till mid to late game. Um, Kranigman Traps, I think, is awesome. Yes, it can affect that one unit by minus one movement, but the terrain becomes dangerous till the end of the round. So if they have multiple units on one piece of terrain, that's multiple units that are going to be taking dangerous tests if they want to do anything, as long as it's not destructible. Um, so a bog, a corpse pile, a tree, like all that stuff suddenly is like, great, I'm on it. But now it's going to hurt me to do anything else it's going to make them pretty much pass an activation, which is a big ad advantage to you. Bog Devil Ambush, yeah, right now it's kind of got an interest. It's in a difficult spot because uh, the only thing I think you could do is put either of the three Kranig men affiliation, him, Mira, or Jojen, in uh, 
bowmen, and that's the way you would make them long range. Otherwise, you're just probably going to be doing the weekend. Threat Unseen is not that good. Um, it's not easy to pull off. I really actually wish, thinking about it now, that the Kranigmen uh, Trappers, instead of Swift Retreat, if they had like outflank to just put a unit in a flank and make them useful that way, uh, that would be interesting. But as is, I feel like that's not until probably mid or late game that you even can do this. And even at best, it's doing only D3 wounds. It's it's not not a great card. Uh, on yeah, the whole, unless... I will say on the whole, I really like him, what he wants to do with his other two cards, and even him to an extent. But it's also going to be hard to justify him over his NCU. Uh, he's going to be one of the people having that problem, in my opinion. But I like what he wants to do. I just wish the Kranigman Trappers were a little better for his cards, because they're kind of not. Yeah, I I definitely agree. It's, it's something we talked about in the last show, that Trappers, in my opinion, are kind of a disappointment, uh, the way they've kind of changed. Uh, and they don't seem to, uh, other than the fact that his uh, two of his cards, well, I guess three of his cards, all deal with Kranigman units. As mentioned before, I'd rather just run Mira and Jojen to get more Kranigman uh, affiliation rather than run the trappers themselves, the trackers themselves. Uh, and important, uh, another thing about the the train piece: if you did have two units on the destructible piece, uh, you the first unit would have to attack it and take the wounds to destroy it so that the second unit didn't have to. But that's still, I guess, situationally that is better than just passing with both units. But uh, it's, yeah, that that is easily his best card in my opinion uh, and super powerful. And the minus one move is also big. Uh, as I play with Egret a lot with the Free Folk and if you can minus one move on a four uh, a unit with only four inch move, I mean they're either maneuvering three or marching six. <laughs> so, and then on top of that, uh, if you if they're on a piece of terrain with rough and you make it dangerous, now like they're a two inch move, four inch or yeah four inch march and taking damage. So you're almost all but guaranteed to make sure that they just don't do anything. So remember, even doing an attack action, uh, and only they would treat it as dangerous. So if both you and the opponent were on that piece and you're a swing, you know, swinging at each other in combat, only they would suffer to all those min- uh, negatives. Uh, Cyrus, what do you think? So... If the Krangman trackers were just a little bit better, I think Howland Reed is the best commander in the game. But right now, with them kind of lacking a little bit, he is somewhere in probably the top third, maybe be the top half. Uh, he's he's pretty good. Superior flanking, when you pull it off, is great. When you're attacking an enemy in the flank and they're vulnerable and panicked, they're going to have a bad day. Uh, pocket disrupt is also great because that makes whatever unit that you put in just that much harder to hit. Kranigman traps is so dirty. I love it. 
if you got an opponent that loves to put out weirwood trees, surprise, that weirwood tree that you have to move through is going to hurt you. If you're trying to hide <laughs> in that forest so I can't hit you with my ranged options, you're going to get hurt. I just love that card. It might be my favorite card. Uh, Bog Devil Ambush, if you do, it, you, I don't think you have to be at long range. I think you can also sh- shoot with a short ranged option as well. So if you do have yeah. Cranium Wind Trackers able, yeah, so you can just go ahead and shoot with your Cranium Wind Trackers if you wanted to. Uh, but your long range options, I'm, I'm not going to say the name of the unit. I've reached my allotment of times <laughs> I can speak about this unit. But there is a unit that can shoot at long range, and when you get a free attack with them, it's going to be devastating. So just keep that in mind. The Threat Unseen, oh, for fluff purposes, I love the wording of this card because it is literally a threat that your enemy can't see. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the flank or, uh, or the rear of the unit for you to have a cranium there, you could have them in a forest, and I think they're out of sight because the forest has cover and blocks line of sight. Uh, you can have them behind a palisade, and they can't see them, so you would meet the conditions for the threat unseen and have them make a panic panic test, but it is absolutely conditional, but fluff-wise, this card is so cool, but practical. It's yeah, it's tough to pull off, but it's it's cool when you can. So I can't complain too much. I think he's good. So I think one uh, thing that would really make it more worthwhile, because you can be fully uh, full with a unit for engagement and cover their sight so that they can't see. So you could be in their front and still trigger this. Uh, so I think it would actually be cool that if you're in their front, it does what the card says. If you're in their flank, it's minus one to the test and plus one damage. And if you're in their re- uh, their rear, it's minus two, minus two. Or, I mean, minus two, plus two to the uh, damage. So that way, you know, if you can get to their rear, you could actually, you know, make this card, you know, it'd be D3 plus two. Um, and they're panicked, so you can make them re-roll that test. So... Uh, I think that would be a great way to kind of make this card pull its weight. But, I mean, failing a panic test and just taking D3 wounds, I mean, that's kind of weak for a uh, a commander card in a faction that can't really boost it. So we're down to about six minutes left, so uh, I definitely want to talk about Eddard. In my opinion, my favorite uh, um, commander now with the new 20, 2021 he has Rally Cry. Each time this unit is performing melee attack, before rolling attack dice, target one other friendly unit in long range, and it restores two wounds. Important to note, it has to be a, is an Eddard's unit, and it's not in order, so you can keep doing it. And he has Iron Resolve. This unit gets plus one panic test rolls and suffers minus one wound from failing panic tests. He has Northern Defiance. When a friendly unit is performing a panic test after dice are rolled, that unit may reroll any dice for this test. If they're in a short range of Eddard's unit, they pass this test instead. And if it's Eddard's unit, uh, target one enemy they're engaged with, they suffer one wound plus one wound for every destroyed rank Eddard has. He has Lead by Example, which is uh, after this Eddard Stark's unit completes a, an attack, attach this card to one other friendly unit in long range until the end of the round. While attached, the unit gains plus two to the morale test rolls and gains plus one to hit. And start a friendly turn, draw one card if Eddard happens to be dead, since the 
the main trigger is for Eddard's unit. Um, then he has Fury for the Fallen. After an enemy completes a melee attack, target Eddard Stark's unit. It performs one attack or charge action. If the defender was destroyed, Eddard's unit may reroll any attack dice and charge distance dice. And he also has the stipulation of draw a tactics card of start a friendly turn in case Eddard happens to be dead. Now, by far my favorite commander, he adds so many potential, or he adds two extra free attack cards, so you have four in your deck. Um, very important to note about Fury for the Fallen, uh, he doesn't even have to attack or uh, charge the, per, the enemy that completed the melee attack. He just simply gets one anywhere on the table. Uh, it's just after they complete a melee attack, just target Eddard. Free attack or charge. Um, super strong. Uh, lead by example, also great. Plus one to hit is super useful in 2021 where there's so many things that do minuses to hit. And uh, Northern Defiance, auto-passing morale test potentially and then dealing auto-wounds, also great. Uh, Iron Resolve, amazing and Berserkers at last rank, you don't even take any damage unless they have a modifier to add extra damage because at that point you're at minus three wounds. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, absolutely my favorite commander. He's super strong. Um, I think he is the biggest range between lowest ceiling potential, so easy to use, and also highest ceiling because of his amount of just raw damage he can put out. Uh, Cyrus, we'll go to you real quick. We only got about three minutes to finish up. What do you think of Vettered? Uh He's good. He is not my favorite because the unit that you really want to bring him in, we talked about it last night, Edward's Honor Guard. You don't want to self-wound your own unit. Uh, your own commander's unit, and that kind of that's going to put him in danger since he can't heal himself. Lead by example was the MVP for me in 1.6. Now I think the most uh, valuable card is probably Fury for the Fallen for the extra attacks that you get. Extra attacks are at a premium, so it's good. Lead by example is okay. You're gaining morale and plus one to hit on a different unit than the one that you and normally you're going to want to do this with a free attack to start the round with the swords on Eddard's unit. Otherwise you might've already activated other units besides Eddard. So you might not get an, an opportunity to attach that card, but you do get to draw one if you don't use it. Northern defiance is also fair. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's good. He's not my favorite though, but I can't really point out anything too glaring with him. He's not a bad commander. All right, and then Spencer, I want uh, you only have about a minute, uh, so if you could, if I could just get like your opinion about the Starks as a whole, uh, and you could maybe say a little something about Eddard, uh, but I'm more concerned about what you kind of think about the Starks. So I think Eddard as a commander is really good. Uh, I think you'll see him in tournament lists for Stark players. Uh, he's got a lot of potential. Starks in general, I think, are in a problematic spot uh, when you want to look at, like, if you were to rank who's the best faction, who's the, you know, worst faction. I don't think they're the worst. I don't think, I think they're somewhere in the low middle is the, the problem with Starks. They do too much self-wounding without healing to make up for it. And I think it's costing them too much for cards that are not as powerful as they should be. All right. And Cyrus, what do you think? Uh, overall thoughts on the faction you got about 30 seconds (laughs) i'm okay with the starks they have dropped in popularity for me 
Uh, they are no longer one of my favorite factions to play, but I do enjoy playing them. They are in that middle ground spot. I don't know if there's going to be anything coming down the pipe to either improve them or make them a, a little bit up in the higher tiers, but they're, they're perfectly fine. And if you love the characters, play the faction. They're, they'll, they'll be fine for you. Sounds good. All right. Thank every, all you guys for listening in. Uh, really long episode. I appreciate it. This is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.